Right, good morning. So as uh, John mentioned, Kenny's in the mountains. I am not. I am jealous. Um, but I guess, yeah, that, that's my, my paradise place. Uh, I love being in the mountains. Um, and anytime I hear that anybody has gone to the mountains, I, uh, I would gladly trade places with them um, in a heartbeat. But here I am, and uh, you're stuck with me today instead of Kenny. And uh, we'll, we'll just uh, get this going. So my name is Dave Harkey. I'm an elder here at the church, as John mentioned. Uh, I've been here for uh, six years or so now. Uh, It's it's our church home. It's a place that we love and a place that uh, God has blessed me with and bringing me here. I would have never thought that I'd have been part of a smaller church. I was always kind of a bigger church kind of guy. But God's uh, done a lot with us here, and I I really enjoy it here. So what I'm here to talk to you about today, and uh, it's kind of flows in with some of the things that Kenny has talked about over the last couple of weeks about standing firm in your faith, um, you know, and he's told us last week, you know, two things that came out of that is, you know, walk in Christ, and the other thing is to watch out for lies or know the truth. So what I'm here to talk to you about is some things that God has placed in my heart, and, and that's that we have a hole in our gospel. And what I mean by this is not that there's a hole in the gospel, but that we have a hole in our understanding about the gospel's impact in us. We understand that the gospel impacts our past and our future, but how it impacts our present, our here and now, I think that sometimes we struggle with that, and it might cause us to have a little apathy um, in as much that, you know, not much emotion or interest. Uh, there's just thing, there are things that we've just come to know as Christians. We kind of, uh, for lack of a better way, put it, take it for granted. We aren't excited about things that we should be excited about, you know, like I said, things have just become part of, part of our Christian faith. So to be clear, what I'm not trying to say is that our faith should be based on emotions and excitement. My intent today is to talk, share some things with you, some truths of the Bible that stirs our heart, ignites some of our passions, um, gives us something to share, and, you know, just the real joys of the gospel that, that it provides us. And if it stirs up some emotion inside of us, well, I don't think that's a bad thing either. So let's, uh, let's get rolling. First thing I want to talk about is the gospel. So what is the gospel? In 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 4, Paul tells us this. For I passed on to you as most important what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. So Christ died for our sins. He paid the price that we could never pay to secure our salvation and eternal life. And then he was buried and rose. He was victorious over death and proved that he was God. And without the resurrection, nothing else matters. And this is something we're getting ready to go into a celebrate, you know, when we're told without the resurrection, our faith is foolish. So this is good news for us. For while we're made in God's image, we rebelled against God and that makes us sinners. Romans 3.23 tells us that we're all sinners, not just some of us, but all of us, and have fallen short of the glory of God. Yet, God did the unthinkable. He sent his son to die for us, to live a perfect life, and then die a substitutionary, sacrificial death on the cross for us. And if that weren't enough, he battled death and emerged from the grave in victory, victorious over Satan and death. Here's the beauty of this. If we turn from our sin and trust in him, believe in him, we are forgiven of all our sin, past, present, that's an important part, and future, 
and are made right with God forever. So yeah, this is good news for us. This is the gospel, and we should embrace it and be excited about it. This is not something that's ho-hum. I've heard it a thousand times. You know, it's you know, just something that we talk about in church. As Chuck Swindoll says, it says, The gospel is like a sword sharpened on the stone of Scripture, tempered in the furnace of reality, relevance, and need. Of all the reactions a person may have to it, I can think of none worse than a yawn, a sleepy so-what, or a bored, who cares? Now, we could stop right here, because really, this is all we need. But as they say on TV, wait, there's more. So let's talk about God's grace, because this is what the gospel leads us to. You see, faith in Christ is the only way of acceptance to God, yet we continue to try to gain his acceptance through doing good things and living in the right ways. We try to take matters in our own hands. I like this quote by Paul Tripp. The fact that sin is a bigger disaster than we think, and grace is more amazing than we seem to be able to grasp it is. So let me say that again. The fact is that sin is a bigger disaster than we think, and grace is more amazing than we seem to be able to grasp that it is. We tend to think that we are better than we are. And when this happens, we've taken the first step to the delusion that maybe God doesn't think that we're as bad as we are or that he doesn't think that we're so bad after all. We forget how much God hates sin and think that we can work our way out of it. But this is why Paul tells us in Romans 3.20, For no one will be justified in his sight by the works of the law, because the knowledge of sin comes through the law. You see, sin is too big, and God's bar is too high, and it is beyond the reach of any of us. This is why we need Christ and why he died for us. There was no other way. He is our hope, our rest, and our peace. Our faith in him is the only portal acceptance with God. And as children of grace, as children of God, we obey and work as a means to worship. Listen to this question that James asks us when considering faith and works. Isn't it obvious that faith and works are yoke partners, that faith expresses itself in works? and that works are the works of faith. Our works are a byproduct of our faith. They in no way can be an attempt to do what is impossible, and that is to independently earn favor with God. Again, this can only be done through Christ. This is grace that we basically, we don't have to do anything but put our faith in him. The other thing that comes with grace, though, is contentment. We have peace because we don't have to look to the world for acceptance. We just have to look up. When we're satisfied with the giver of grace and peace, we are released from our quest for worldly satisfaction and trying to gain God's favor on our own. It's a quest that can be so discouraging for so many. And one of the beautiful fruits of grace is content heart. Being given more to joy than the anxiety of want, this is the grace of God. Again, this is not some ho-hum thing that I've heard a thousand times before. This is... This is something that we should be excited about. This should stir our hearts and be something we want to share. We don't have to do anything but put our faith in him. It's not on us to do anything. That's grace. What we get from grace is his spirit. So let me give you some insight to me on me. I've been a Christian for a long time. 
And all my life, since I've been saved, I've known that I've been forgiven of my sins. I am forgiven of my sins. I know that I have a no-holds-barred pass into heaven. I just know that. That's part of salvation. But here's the problem. I thought between now and thing that between now and then, it was my job to gut it out. My responsibility to identify the sin in my life. My job to, to cut out that sin. And my job to give myself to, into living a more better, righteous, biblical way. I thought I had to do it. And trust me, no matter how hard I tried, I'd fail. I have, I'd have some success every now and then. But more often than not, I failed and found myself more and more discouraged and even frustrated, more so with myself than with God. However, I would ask God, where are you? Where is your spirit inside me? Is this something that you guys can relate to? Romans 8.13 is a bit of an aha on this. It says, if you live according to the flesh, you're going to die. But, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. If you live according to the Spirit, the body will be put to death. Thank you. Now you're going to see how nervous I am. <laughs> so how does this work? Here's the thing. When we're saved, we're given the Spirit. When I'm tired of messing up and wondering where the Spirit is inside of me, it's not that He's not in me. The issue is I'm not letting Him work in me. I'm not letting Him lead me. I'm trying to do all the work that I'm not capable of. Why? Because my sin doesn't just make me feel guilty. It makes me incapable. The inability of sin keeps me from being able to do the work inside of me. Only the Spirit can do that. My needs, our needs as sinners, are so great that it's not enough just for God to forgive us. He has to come and live inside of us. All we have to do is by faith surrender to him. He'll do the rest. Truth be told, I need the presence of the power and the Holy Spirit inside of me because sin, it kidnaps me. It, it kidnaps my heart. It blinds me and it weakens my needs. So when I ask God, where's your spirit inside of me? How do I get your spirit inside of me? Because I'm tired of messing up. He tells me through his word, you have it. You are my child. Just listen and let him lead you. I said earlier that we get the spirit when we're saved. And how do I know this? Because in Ephesians 1.13, Paul tells us, In him also you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of, of your salvation, and when you believed. And how do I know God's spirit is inside of me, and I don't let him lead as I should? Because when I start to fall, and I hear this thing yelling in my head, don't do it, I do it anyway. That's the spirit trying to lead me, and me rebelling against the spirit. That's true. When I doubt the spirit's living in me, all I have to do is remember the truth of Ephesians and look at my life and see how he's changed me and how he's gifted me with the fruits of the Spirit, as mentioned in Galatians 5, verses 22 and 23. 
love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. <clears throat> I can observe all these things in my life and how God has manifested his character in me. And trust me when I say I've changed, or ask my wife, she's had to deal with me for nearly 30 years, she knows, maybe too much. The Spirit has enabled me to be more like Jesus. The Spirit also enables you to be more like Christ. The Spirit heals us, teaches us, directs us, encourages us, encourages us and renews us. He helps us to do God's work. And let's be honest, the fact that I'm up here right now, it tells you that there's evidence of the Spirit work in me because I could not do this on my own. I mentioned earlier that sometimes we don't recognize the gospel in our present, that we have a hole in our gospel. But I'm telling you, he is in the here and now, in our day-to-day -day life. You just have to look for it, see it, and understand it. Paul in Galatians 2.20 has a nice way of putting it. I have been crucified with Christ. This is our past. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, be the spirit in the present. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Implications of the past and present. Christ lives in us now by the Spirit. God in his grace dwells in us by his Spirit. He is with us now. Imagine if he were not. Again, something that we hear over and over again, but we shouldn't take for granted. It's not some ho-hum thing I've heard a thousand times before. And how do we show people? How do we share this excitement with people? When we get asked, how do you do it? What's your secret? We don't say, you know, it's just, you know, I'm lucky or whatever. We say it's, we've got the spirit in us. We're not alone. God is with us. Give God the glory. Now, the next thing I want to talk about could be a sermon on its own, and I'm sure as Kenny works through Matthew, it might be. Uh, I'm going to touch on it briefly today because I think it does matter. We don't talk a lot about it in the church, and that's the rapture and the second coming of Christ. This is something that we have that we can look forward to, but I think we've kind of gotten numb to it. Maybe we've grown tired of waiting for it. Maybe it seems irrelevant, as if it won't happen in our lifetime, but it will happen. We don't know when, but we need to be ready. So listen to what Matthew says. Therefore, you must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. And St. Augustine warns us in regard to this. The last day is hidden, that every day may be regarded. Matthew, in the same ch chapter, telling us before we need to be ready, is talking about what was going on with Noah and the flood and how things were during that time. And then Noah's telling everybody, hey, the flood's coming, the flood's coming. And everybody's like, yeah, you're crazy. Um, and they kept going about their business, doing what they do on a day-to-day -day basis, working, carrying on, doing the laundry, eating, drinking, going to weddings, just living life. Does this sound familiar? Does this sound like our world today? Are we regarding every day? Now, before I go too far here, I realize that there are a lot of different views about the details of the end times and how things happen. 
Um, that's okay. Uh, we should be able to disagree on things and still be able to get along. But what I'm going to present to you today is, is my perspective. Um, yours may be different. I'd be interested to hear your per perspectives. Um, but I think we can all agree that these things will happen and that it is the, and that's the main thing. So here's the deal. The rapture is going to happen. My personal position on this is that it will take place at the beginning of the second coming based on what I read in Paul uh, in 1 Thessalonians. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Again, this is only for believers. Make sure he knows you. Then there'll be a tribulation period, seven years of unrestrained evil. Take the mark or die. The Antichrist, the Earth's worst days. It will be horrific, worse than a zombie apocalypse. You don't want to go through it. And at the end of the seven years will be the battle of Arm at Armageddon. It'll be a war between God and his enemies, and it'll make anything that we've seen on this earth from a war perspective look like little skirmishes. But here's what we know. Jesus wins. The devil may be mighty, but the Lord is almighty. Victory is his. So again, like I said before, we might not agree on the timings of things in the end times, but as Christians, we all agree that Jesus will return, the dead in Christ will rise with him, and Jesus will win. Then we get to be with him for eternity. Everyone else, I fear for the consequences and what they're going to have to go through. I hope that none of us have to go through that. So, yeah, this is something we should look forward to with anticipation and excitement. And it may seem irrelevant now, but it's not. I recently, I recently read a book by uh, David, Dr. David Jeremiah, one of uh, today's leading teachers on the end time prophecy. And here's some of the things that he tells us about the second coming and references in the Bible. He says the biblical references to the second coming outnumber references to the first coming eight to one. There are 1,845 biblical references to the second coming, including 318 in the New Testament. Christ's return is emphasized no less than 17 of the 39 Old Testament books and in 7 out of 10 chapters in the New Testament. The New Testament, Christ referred to the second coming 21 times. The second coming is second only to faith at the, as the most dominant subject in the New Testament. Ladies and gentlemen, this matters. The prophets foretold it. Jesus announced it. The archangels announced it. John wrote Revelation about it, and the disciples and Paul talk about it. It is not irrelevant. And I'll tell you this. The minute after the second coming starts, it will be the very definition of relevant. Be ready. Anticipate it. Be excited about it because Jesus wins. And if you're a believer, you don't have to live through it. You get to go home with Christ and watch from the sidelines. This is not something... That is ho-hum, I've heard a thousand times, it's not irrelevant. This is important. This is something for us to anticipate. One last thing. 
God's faithfulness. This may be the most exciting thing about God to me. If we put our faith in him, he is faithful to us. In Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, he states, He will also strengthen you to the end, so that you will be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful. You are called by him into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. He will keep us strong and no, say, no need to say, we need this. He will do this because he is faithful to us. We tend to, we tend to think about faith in terms of our faithfulness to God, not his faithfulness to us. But let's look at 2 Timothy 2, 11 through 13. The saying is trustworthy, for if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. And here's the takeaway for me on this. God says if we put our faith in Christ and the gospel, we believe this with all our hearts that our sins are forgiven, past, present, and future. And we are promised eternity to him. And to this, he is faithful. And when we fall, which we will, because we're not strong enough to live perfectly, he in his perfect faithfulness, full of mercy and grace, forgives us, picks us up, loves us, and tells us to go and sin no more, my child. He will do this for us every time. Every time we fall. Why? Because, because he's faithful to us. Now, this does not give us license to go and live a life of sin, because if we do this habitually and willingly, then I think we need to examine our hearts and whether or not we've really put our trust in him, given him control, and let him change us. God sees through fire insurance. He knows our hearts. Consider Psalm 44, 21, and Proverbs 21, 2. Would not God discover this? For he knows the secrets of the heart. And every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. He knows our hearts. He knows what we're going to say before we say it. If we've truly put our faith in him, he will never abandon us. Nothing will separate us from him. He is faithful to us. He cannot deny himself. He will keep us strong to the end. And we'll be free from blame on the day that Christ returns. We do not have to carry the weight of our sin because he carries it for us. What a promise we have. And we know it's true because God, he doesn't change. He is truth. He can't lie. Look at these verses on God and his character. For I, the Lord, do not change, Malachi 3.6. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Hebrews 13.8. The entirety of your word is truth, Psalm 119, 160. And Paul telling us about scripture in the introduction to Titus. The truth gives them confidence that they have eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised them before the world began. It's Titus 1-2. So why is this exciting to me? Because everything else I've talked about rests on God's faithfulness. Think about how it would be if God were a changing God. We couldn't count on any of this. We could not count on his faithfulness. We'd have nothing in his faithfulness, we have everything. So, yeah, we've heard it a lot. But think about it. 
This is not a ho-hum thing. Our God is faithful. Thank him for his unchanging character and his perfect faithfulness. So these are five things that I've presented. There's so much more to God, but five truths that we can stand on, that we can stand firm on, and that things that we should be excited about, things that when we walk out of here today and people ask us what's going on with us and why we're excited about our faith, these are things that we can tell them. These are the things that God does for us. So in closing, if you're a believer, my prayer for you today is that you leave here with a renewed sense of excitement about your faith, full of hope and promise, maybe a little pep in your step and a smile on your face. And when people ask you why, you've got something that you can tell them. If you're not a believer, maybe this is your first time hearing some of these things and what it gives you, or maybe you've heard some of it before. My prayer for you is that you see why we put our trust in Christ and our faith in Christ and that you make a decision to turn from your sin and turn to him. If you make a decision today, please let us know. There's a couple ways you can do this. Come see me at the end of the service or one of the other elders. Fill out a connect card. There's a box on there that says, I put my faith in Christ or something along those lines. And someone in the church will follow up with you. Or let someone on the connect team know that you're leaving today. We'll make sure you're followed up with. I hope that God has spoken to you today the way that he has spoken to me over the last couple months as I've kind of prepared this. It's stuff that's been on my heart for a while. And I hope that you can walk out with a renewed sense of excitement about your faith. Let's pray. Father God, we are so thankful for your faithfulness. We are thankful that for your grace, your spirit in us. We're thankful for the truth of your word. We're thankful that you're going to come again and take us home. Lord God, be with us as we continue to worship. May our hearts be filled with you. It's in Jesus' name we pray.